Good morning. So by now you've seen that Pastor Doug isn't here. <clears throat> he, uh, he is in paradise. I came from paradise. He went to paradise. How about that? <laughs> um, yesterday was his mother's memorial service, and uh, so he's spending time with family this morning. I am glad to be here. I love this church. Thank you. We've been coming here since uh, April, middle of April. And, um, I mean, I've known Doug for almost 20 years, so that's kind of fun. But um, I just love it here. This is my church. This is my home. Praise God. Lord, thank you that I'm here. <laughs> I thank you for these people that are here. I ask that, Lord, we would learn about you this morning. We would put your word in our hearts, and we would lock it there that we wouldn't sin against you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have noticed I have a cold. I hope you bear with me. Um, it really doesn't matter whether you will or not. That's the way it's going to be. <coughs> Excuse me. So um, how many of you grew up in a small town? Let me qualify small town. Less than 100. I'm by myself, and I'm used to that. You know that? Everywhere I go. Oh, I grew up in a small town. Really? How many people were there? No, you didn't. And I've been one-upped once. I met a lady. She grew up in a town of eight, it, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, we have all kinds of different ideas about small towns, don't we? There's this sheriff that's running the town, and it's this deliverance place, you know. And uh, there's this corrupt thing going on, you know. And then, and then there's Mayberry, right? I grew up in Mayberry, okay? Only it was called Acme, like on Bugs Bunny. Yeah. And we had the river on one end of town, and it would flood every year and flood the main street, you know. We'd have boats going up and down like Venice. Um, I'd walk out my, my front door in the morning and walk out in the middle of the street, and I could look to the right, and here's these three big, beautiful, snow-covered mountains. And that river, it ran off those mountains. Let me tell you something. That was cold water. In the middle of the summer, you could walk out there and just be up to your ankles, and your knees would freeze. And we swam in it like it was a great plan. Because we loved it. We loved living there. We didn't know it. You know, we had all the little, there's nothing to do in Acme. Yeah, there's lots to do. You could go milk a cow anytime. Sure. You could wander up into the woods, which I did often. I loved it up there. I'd go all by myself. I never got lost. Because if you go up the mountain to go home, you go down the mountain. Pretty simple. It was great. You could go fishing. There was all kinds of stuff to do if you were like outdoor type stuff. We rafted the river. It was great. That doesn't mean we didn't have problems. It was a small community. Now, what is a small community, really? What is that? Is it what I was just talking about? Sure. Is it where you work? Sure. Why not? 
church, maybe your neighborhood. How many of you know your neighbors? A little bit, some of us. I know all of mine. Don't like all of them, but, you know, I know them. Um, some of us, we struggle to know if we live in an apartment building, the one that lives in the apartment next door. And it's not because we're antisocial. We're home, they're not. They're home, we're not. Everybody's busy. We got stuff going on. So it's easy to know people at work, and it's hard to know your next-door neighbor. Sure. Doesn't mean you're bad or evil or anything like that. And in a relationship, what is a relationship? Well, there's the husband and wife relationship, parents to children. There's the people you work with. That's a relationship. You have a relationship with your enemies. It's just not one you like. Okay? Relationships can span all kinds of things. But in the church, in here, we should have good, healthy relationships. And I am getting to know you guys, and I am growing to love you guys. Who isn't just blessed by our newlywed couples every week? Aren't they adorable? They are, you guys are so cute, the, you two couples. You, just, you guys are great. I was, uh, Chris showed me his picture on his phone this morning of the two of them all cuddled up, you know. And I said, oh, that's great. And then I showed him mine where my wife and I are all cuddled up that we took at Fort Bragg a few years ago. And, uh, you know, so I'm a little prejudiced there maybe. And it's okay. But now the town I grew up in, everybody knew everybody by their first name. And it was a town where there were more cows than people, or chickens, or dogs, or cats, and probably fish. Because when you have a town of 75 adults, you got all kinds of kids running around, right? Not all those adults had kids, obviously, since there was 75 and not 74 or 76, right? But one thing I learned really quickly when we moved there is that my parents knew people that lived there from long before I was born. Long, long, long time before I was born. And if I did something wrong, my mom knew it before I got home. And so did the whole rest of the town because we had a party line. Come on. Guys, do you guys know what a party line is? You do? You have your telephone? And our ring was two rings and a dot. Then we picked it up. If you picked up on two rings, you got Mrs. Jacoby's line. And you could hear her conversation. Okay? So on a party line, you can tell the whole town everything in about two seconds. Zip. Especially when there's 75 adults. Of course, we had our gossip queen. She lived across the fence from me. Her husband was the postmaster. So she knew all kinds of stuff. What was wrong with that? You know what? Me knowing that mom would know before I got home that I did something wrong kept me from doing a lot of wrong. 
Because I knew what was going to happen when I showed up if I'd done wrong. So did the rest of us. Now, we had lots of fun. But we stayed away from right and wrong. Like we should do in here. Amongst us. And it shouldn't be called gossip then. Because we don't want to do that. But we do want to hold each other accountable. Don't we? I want to be accountable to you guys, and I would hope that you would want to be accountable to me. I don't want to have that relationship with you where, oh, I'll don't let the pastor know because I'll be in trouble. No, don't, let's not do that. Let's be open and honest. And, you know, the, the Catholics have kind of a, a gimme here where they have the confessional. You know, that's kind of a neat thing. We shouldn't think that absolves us of sin, but it's good to tell somebody where you can get counsel for what you've done wrong. Sure. Now, our house was across the street from the Assembly of God Church. There were two churches in town, the Assembly of God Church and the Presbyterian Church. Our picture window in our living room, if they had the doors open on the church, I could look at the pulpit. So, that brings us to June of 1976. Do you know where you were in June on a Sunday night in 76? Anybody? (laughs) Good answer. (laughs) We were not in church. We were at home. It was one of the few times that we did not go to church on a Sunday night. And uh, we got a phone call. Now, here I am, I'm 10, I'm, I'm going to be 11 in a couple of months, you know, the, the bicentennial of the country is next month, and I was really excited about that because something I really love is fireworks. And in Washington, you can buy your own, which I know you can do here in Yuba City, but not so much in Paradise. Could go to jail, you know. But we could buy almost any firework in Washington. Anything that was known to man, just about, you could buy and blow it off in your backyard. And uh, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to this, you know. And we were kind of talking about it on this one particular night. And we got this phone call. And uh, could you put that picture up now? This is my niece, Carrie Ann. She is 45. That picture, she was about 43. And on this particular night, she was two years old. And uh, she was at home with her parents. And um, they had, you guys know what a uh, deep fryer is? Like a fry baby, only the fry daddy it was called. And uh, they had a small home, you know, they're just starting out. And so they've got the fryer on the kitchen table and her high chair was in the corner and they had it plugged in. And to get out of there, she had to go under that cord. And just before my sister was to put the french fries in the vat... Carrie decided she needed to get out of there. And she slipped getting out of her high chair, and she fell across the cord, and the whole bucket fell over her head. And it burned her across the top of her eyes and down the corner like this and just missed the corner of her mouth and went down across, and 90% of her body had third-degree burns. Does that look like a woman who was burned that bad? So... My sister called her mother instead of the hospital. 
after she had called her mother, my mom, she realized, I need to call the hospital. So it was a short conversation. My mom told my dad. My dad made a beeline across the street, walked right up to the pulpit, and announced to the people what had happened. And that church began to pray. And that was able to happen because we knew those people. They knew Russ Hamilton when he walked in the door. And they also knew if Russ Hamilton came to church, it was a big deal. What's wrong? And he went right up to the pastor and he told him what happened. And they all prayed right then. We went to the hospital the next day and Carrie's head was black and as big as a basketball. And they wouldn't let me in to see her because back then, you know, they had different rules. So I looked in through the window and I saw this precious little baby and I began to cry for her because I did love her. You know, 10-year-old boy, I, I, I knew what it was. I understood she could die. And if she didn't die, she was going to look horrible. And I'd seen people that had been burned like that and it's horrible. Today, Carrie has a little scar right here, and she's got a couple on the back of each arm, and they're very bad scars. But that's about all the scarring she has, because God is amazing. And we believed he could do what nobody thought he could do. Now, that doesn't mean there wasn't pain for her. She had the, you know, the baths that they give people with burns and things like this. But because of the community of believers that went to prayer immediately, there was no delay and there was no stop. We continued to pelt the Lord Jesus Christ with our prayers because we knew that we knew he could do what the doctors said could not be done. And there's Carrie. And, um, you know, she's had her up and downs in life. But she's serving God now. And she has a, a boy that's 16, I think, or something like that. And um, she, growing up, you know, she was not a joy to be around. Because she got spoiled a lot when she was little. Because of the burn and, you know, some other stuff. But she grew up, and she is, she is a nice young lady now. She's fun to be around. She, um, she texts with me all the time. I love you, Uncle Craig. You're so awesome. I think, thank you, sweetheart. No, I'm not. <laughs> but what has that got to do with anything? Stories like that, to me, encourage me. I have a lot of them. I'm 53 years old, and I've lived about 217 years of life in that time. I've seen a lot. I've done a lot. I had to grow up when I was six. Dad said, go get a job. So I went and got a job. Now, I didn't work every day. You know, it wasn't like that, but, you know, I have... And my wife has this little contract I signed with the owner of the general store. What did I get paid? 25 cents a week to pick up the parking lot. I earned a quarter a week. 
Do you know what that would buy? You know, for 15 cents, I could get a big candy bar and a soda. A quarter was, I was rich. That was a lot of money. So that all started, and that brings us to Galatians 6, verse 2. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. I want to share with you your burdens. If you want prayer for something, or if you just want prayer just because, I want to pray for you. Because we have what nobody else has. We have an open channel to the great creator of heaven and earth who created all people. We have an open channel to come boldly into the throne room of the Lord God Almighty and climb up on his lap and pull his beard. And he thinks it's okay. Not only does he think it's okay, he wants it. He desires it. He loves to spend time with his children. We can go to our daddy and say, play catch, and he'll play catch. Always. I'm not busy. I'm too busy now. No, never, never. He always has time for you, no matter what else is going on. Always. Isn't that an amazing thought? Wow. Mark 6, verse 12. This is how they amplified. So they went out and preached that men should repent. That is, think differently, recognize sin, turn away from sin, and live changed lives. That's what repent means. And they were casting out many demons and were anointing many with oil who were sick and healing them. This is community. This is what we should do with one another. You have a need, we pray for it. You're sick, we ask you for you to be healed. No matter what it is, even just a cold, which I've been praying for all week. <laughs> Up to and including someone dying. And we don't think they should be dead yet. It's okay to ask God to raise them. It's okay. And you should. Now, you need to be a little tactful there. Okay? You don't need to be freaking people out when you do this. Uh, I knew a guy that, um, you know, he stopped on, alongside of the road, and there was a dead body, and the family was there grieving, and he walked up and pulled the sheet off and commanded the guy to be raised from the dead, which if he had been raised from the dead would have been fine, but when he wasn't, it wasn't fine. So you need to have a little, little tack there, little discretion. James 5, 13, also out of the Amplified. Is anyone among you suffering? He must pray. Is anyone joyful? He is to sing praises to God. Is anyone among you sick? He must call for the elders or the spiritual leaders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. How cool is that? We have instructions right here on how to, how to pray for healing. 
And the prayer of faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, a lot of times you pray for people, and what happens? Nothing. Why? Maybe. I have one friend. He, he, is, uh, he has been my friend longer than anyone else. I've known him since I was 13. We were friends immediately. And um, he'll always say, Craig, they are healed. You're just not seeing it yet. Lack of faith? You know, I don't know. I don't have all the answers there. I don't, I don't know. But I know my buddy Bruce. And I know that he has the ear of the Father. And when he says to me, they're healed... Well, why aren't why why wouldn't they be? I just can't see it yet. Okay. Well, what does that mean? I don't know. Neither does he. But what I know about God is that we need to things we need things to be here as they are in heaven. And I think that's what he means. He's that person's healed in heaven. I want to see it here. So I won't give up. If I pray for you. I will pray for you until you are healed, until I see it, or you pass on. And guess what? Then you're healed. (laughs) I'm okay with that. I suffered from a a deadly disease. It was called ankylosing spondylitis, or actually it still is called ankylosing spondylitis, but I don't have it anymore. So what, right? Well, let me tell you, it is incurable. Once you get it, you have it, period. And either you die from it or you become severely disabled. And I was diagnosed with this when I was, what, 35? 35? And if it's going to kill you, it does it inside of 20 years. And if uh, it doesn't, you're severely deformed within 10. Now, be nice. Am I severely deformed? No. Now, I came to a spot where I could hardly walk. I was walking like this. Okay? I couldn't run. I couldn't bend over. I couldn't hardly wash myself. And we went to church one night, and uh, I dropped the family off. And I went and parked the car because, you know, go find a seat because if you wait for me, church will be over. And I came in, and we're having worship. And um, this was a church where people danced, okay? And um, I couldn't. I wanted to, but I couldn't. About three rows in front of me, this friend of mine is going like this. I can do that. So I did, and I was flinging my arms around, and about halfway through this song, and it's, um, I could sing unending songs of how you saved my soul. that's, That's the name of that song. And I felt a weight come off of me, Eric. It wasn't hot. You know, a lot of people will say, I felt this heat. No, I didn't feel any of that. I just felt release. And I began to do this. 
And then you know what I did? I ran around the church. <laughs> 500 people watching this little Scottish boy running around the, like this. And you know what? It was fine. It was great. And I am still healed to this day. And it's not to say I never have problems with my back. I do. I have a lot of problems with my back. But nothing stops me. Nothing deforms me. Nothing limits me from getting to the point. Also, during this time, I was attacked with another disease called iritis, which they are related. And iritis, for uh, a very poor way to describe it, but that you will understand, is kind of like arthritis in your eye on your iris. The black part, right? That gets big. The colored part? Whatever. Okay. Anyway, it locks shut, right? And bright light is horrible, and it feels like a sledgehammer hitting you repeatedly over and over because the vents in the back of your eyes shut and then won't let the poison out. So your eye swells. And even the blue part of my eye turned purple because there was so much blood vessels erupting. And uh, it affects my vision in this eye a little bit now. I've had it in both eyes, but this eye, the last time, it was really bad. And we began to pray. And um, I had high blood pressure. I still do. But we prayed for the blood pressure to come down low enough that I could pass my physical so I could drive a truck. And I got to throw away my glasses. I don't need glasses. I'm, 50, I'm 53 years old. I don't need glasses. I don't, I don't need glasses. I did for a while. But I don't need them anymore. <laughs> I can see you, boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you should have done this 10 years ago. <laughs> uh. But this is family stuff here. Amen? I'm sharing with you about me because I want you to know what God can do and what he has done. It isn't about me. It's about what God did. Satan meant it for evil. He intended to kill me. And God said, no, but it will be a testimony to encourage others to see that I still do what I say I can do. And he does things for me every day. Listen to me, people. I have one of the most dangerous jobs on the planet. I drive a fuel truck. And every day, some <clears throat> intelligent individual <laughs> seeks in one way or another to crash into that truck. And you know what? It is bright yellow from bumper to bumper. There is no way you can't see that truck. But people still try to crash into it as though they didn't see it for whatever reason. And it's a bomb. We've all seen the Hollywood pictures, you know, fuel truck, it's going to blow up. You see a fuel truck, it's going to blow up, right? That's not what happens. Usually when a fuel truck gets hit, it doesn't blow up. And they're more dangerous when they're empty than when they're full. But God keeps me safe. 
Now, I've been driving that truck for almost eight years. That's my fuel, first fuel hauling job, but I've been a truck driver for 34 years, and I have never had an accident. God is so good because, let me tell you, there were plenty of times there should have been one. Plenty of times. <clears throat> God is so good. <laughs> I could do a whole sermon just on that. <laughs> uh, Hebrews, I'm sorry, Hebrews 10, 23, New Living Translation. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Amen. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. That's what I'm doing right here this morning, telling you these things about my niece, about my life, about where I grew up, that you will be motivated to do good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. How close is the day of his return? I don't know either. But it's okay, because Jesus said we're not going to know, right? But we can read the times. The Bible has a map. And if you read it and you understand it, and sometimes that takes some studying to figure it out, but if you do so, you can see that the more evil time becomes, the closer it is to him coming back. And we're getting pretty evil. When society says it's okay for people to marry one another, in fact, in Montana, there's a guy that is petitioned to marry his dog. Yes. Whatever for. I mean, for crying out loud. But he's decided, and I think it's actually two dogs now that I'm thinking about it. Now, this is not going to make it in Montana, okay? But somebody brought it up, and pretty soon, some Yahoo's going to try it in California, and he's going to get it passed. Yeah. Because this state is nuts. We, we, in this state, pass all kinds of things that are against the law of God. Yeah. It's becoming more and more evil because people now, they just go, oh, it's California. Oh, it's New York. Nobody cares. I care. I care a lot. We all should care. Romans 12, 4 through 16. For just as in one physical body we have many parts... These do not all have the same, sp same function or special use. My ear is terrible at picking up a pen. That doesn't work. No. My feet will not smell things like my nose does. They will give off an odor, but they don't smell things. My eyes don't taste. My ears don't see. functioning together all at one time, I do pretty good. Now, I'm not the most gifted person ever, but I do pretty good. So, we as a body here, we all have 
some sort of gifting. Now, you guys ever take those uh, spiritual gifting tests? Okay. Well, the couple pastors ago where we were at, we had a pastor that gave these out, and uh, I had the gift of, um, I think it was prophecy or something. Anyway, I, I think it was prophecy. Any, anyway, the, this other guy in our church had the same gift, and it came out that we both had the same gift, and, and, we're, and we're in this little meeting talking about it, and he goes, these things are nuts. These are no good at all. I said, what, what are you talking about? And he goes, there is no way, Craig, that you and I have the same gift because he is completely different personality than me. And I said, well, sure we do. God's just going to do it different in me than he does in you. Good. How boring if we were all the same. How would you like it if every time you looked in the mirror, you saw yourself and you looked at your wife and you saw yourself? Well, that would be disappointing. Goodness gracious, that would be awful. Go to the grocery store and everybody there looks like you. Who are you? I don't know. I look just like him. Be terrible. But we have many parts. For we who are many are nevertheless just one body in Christ, and individually we are parts, one of another, mutually dependent on each other. My head won't go anywhere that my feet don't go. It's impossible. My right hand won't go where my left one isn't. They might be as far apart as I can get them, but they still have to go in the same place, don't they? Sure. But I don't have to go anywhere that Mike doesn't go. Yeah, Mike Mike can go anywhere he wants. Well, if, if Becca says he can. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't God fun? God is so much fun. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to use them accordingly. Who wants to get up here and lead worship? Aren't we glad that Chris does it? Yeah. You do a great job. In fact, the two of you together are better than anybody I've ever seen. I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot of worship leaders. You guys are great. We are incredibly blessed that you two have chosen to stay here. And some of y'all better go back me up because that was a good statement. <clears throat> Excuse me. If some have the gift of prophecy, let him speak a new message from God to his people in proportion to the faith possessed. If service in the act of serving, he who teaches in the art of teaching, he who encourages in the act of encouragement. Now, I have been called uh, by this same individual <laughs> that shared the gift of prophecy with me. He has called me Barnabas. And, you know, there's not much I go through life that I hang my hat on, but I hang my hat on that one because Barnabas is my hero because that's not his name. Anybody know Barnabas' name? Do you know what Barnabas means? Son of encouragement. 
Barnabas' name is John Mark. But everybody called him by his nickname. That's a whale of a nickname. Son of encouragement. In the door, hey, son of encouragement's here. We can have a good time now because we're encouraged, you know. And so when my very good friend, a man that I respect more than most men I know, called me Barnabas, uh, I stopped breathing for a second because he doesn't compliment people very much. So when he does, you know he means it. Am I saying that, you know, I'm Barnabas, you know, bow down and work? No, for crying out loud, no. I'm just saying that I was so excited to be recognized as that because I have tried for a long time in my life to encourage people. I love to encourage people because I love to see the look on your face when you are encouraged by something I said. Praise God that I got to encourage you. Praise God that something about me made you happy. It is a great thing. It's why parents give gifts to their children, to see them excited. Amen? We love to give good gifts to our children, don't we? It's the best, isn't it? It really is. He who gives with generosity. Now, I love to be generous, too, although, you know, my pocketbook says you better not do that, but I like to. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy in caring for others with cheerfulness. Love is to be sincere and active, the real thing without guile or hypocrisy. How many of you love just to love, not to get anything back? Isn't it the best? Yeah. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did before the cross. That's what he did at the cross. And that's what he has done since the cross. Because he died in service to us. The most mighty, most powerful being ever seeks to be a servant to us. And if that don't mess with your mind a little bit, I want to talk to you because I'd like to have you explain it to me so it quits messing with mine. Hate what is evil. Detest all unguidedness. Do not tolerate wickedness. We got a lot of wickedness going on around us, don't we? And we also know that if we would not tolerate it the way we would really like to not tolerate it, we'd land ourselves in the huskow. So how do you come against that? What do you do about wickedness? You pray, and you pray, and you figure out smarter ways to pray, and you figure out how to do, like it says, I think, in Corinthians, where it says, to pull down everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, to pull it down. Not God pull it down, but you use his weapon to pull it down. You, not an angel, not Jesus, you. Because it's your life, and they're your people, and you are here to fight for them on your knees with your mouth. Because God said words in prayer are powerful.
And if God said it, then what is it? 100% pure truth. Excuse me. Hate the sin, not the person. Yeah. That's a hard one, isn't it? Because we know the Bible says if you spare the rod, you spoil the child, right? Well, what are we doing? We're encouraging the child to not give in to the temptation. We're fighting against spirits not teaching the child. Sorry. We're fighting against the spirits having dominion to tell the child, because you know what demon means? Everybody know? It means thought caster. So they whisper in your ear, right? You ever see those cartoons? Got a demon on one side, angel on the other. Yeah, it's really what's going on. So when you do something wrong, the devil didn't make you do it, but he probably put the thought in your head. So we want to teach our children... Don't give in to that. You don't have to give in to that. So that is fighting against evil. But as we age and we grow older, there has to be a better way to do it. Right? So we use our words. We speak to each other to encourage each other to not give in to the temptation that the enemy lays out in front of us. Verse 15. I'm sorry, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you, who cause you harm or hardship. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, sharing others' joy. And weep with those who weep, sharing others' grief. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty or conceited, self-important or exclusive. Exclusive. What, what do we call people who are exclusive? Snobs. Yes, stuck up. They're better than me, you know. And most of us, you know, if we're honest, we can sit here and we can be in church and we can watch everybody come in, and and many people do, you know. Of course, none of us here in this body do that, no. But you've all been in a body where this has happened, where somebody comes in and everybody goes, oh, well, you know, that's sister better than you, or, well, that's brother bashful, or so on and so forth, right? Because people like to judge. Where is that in the scripture? People should judge. Where is that? That's in your book of opinions. Just go on ahead and pull that page right out. Toss it. I have a hundred chapters in Craig's book of opinions. And I need to get rid of it. The whole book. And I'm working on it. And I hope you'll help me. Because I've been working on it a long time now. Excuse me. But associate with humble people, those with realistic realistic self-view. Do not overestimate yourself. Psalm 133.1. Behold. How good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Isn't it easier to get along with somebody than it is to fight with them? Now, I know people that like to confront other people. They say they thrive on getting to um, conflict. 
I go, what's the matter with you? You know, <laughs> something's wrong there. Because I don't like conflict at all. I like to just everything go smooth and nice and relax and, hey, everything's great. Yeah, it's wonderful. But life isn't like that, is it? No. So you have to learn to deal with that. You have to learn to be good at it. You have to learn to be able to communicate. But you don't have to learn how to seek it out. We should learn how to get rid of it. Um, Ecclesiastes 4, Matthew 18, 1 Peter 3. In fact, when you get home, get out 1 Peter 3 and read it. It's really good. Um, other scriptures, you know, Acts 1, 1 John 1, 1 John 4. We'll just jump up to John 13 here. I assure you and most solemnly say to you, the one who receives and welcomes, whoever I send receives me. So when we have visitors here, what should we do? Receive them. Should we make them feel new? No, we should make them feel like family. Yes, not a dysfunctional family. A unified family where we love each other. And we want that person to know if you should decide to make this your church, if you should decide to come into this body and be part of it, you will be welcome. We will expect that you help us, but we will help you. You should expect that we will share our burdens with you, but also expect that we will help you with your burdens because we're a family. We're unified, we're a community. We're a neighborhood. We love one another. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the one who receives me receives him who sent me in the same way. And of course, who could forget all those wonderful scriptures in Timothy about widows and orphans? we should all take care of widows and orphans. Now, everybody at some time in their life, if they live long enough, becomes an orphan, right? Because your parents pass on. So you're an orphan. It's okay. It's okay because we have each other. Brad, you are my friend. Aren't you? Yeah. I've grown to really like you. You're a pretty neat guy, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. A few weeks ago, my wife and I went up to this little church in Vinton. Anybody know where Vinton is? Vinton is Acme, only it's over there in California. And uh, there's this little rise in the, in the road. It's called Buckworth Pass. It's on Highway 70. And if it wasn't there, you could see Nevada. That's, that's where Vinton is on Highway 70. So we went up to this little four-square church to visit a few Sundays ago, and it's the only church in town. And, you know, imagine if our sanctuary was this direction, okay, and uh, the stage was right there. That would be the front door of the church, right there. So you entered at the front, and we did. And uh, the pastor is about this tall, and he's got a really good limp. 
His name's Mark Larson, and he is a very godly man. He heard the door open. He turned around. He looked at us, and he greeted us immediately. And uh, then, you know, we did what we had to do, and we found our chairs, and we listened to the worship team finish their practice. About 60 people there that Sunday? 50 or 60 people, okay? And the sanctuary was pretty full, so you can, you know, it's a smaller sanctuary than this one. It was a cowboy church. And right next to the front door, there was a horse bridle hanging on the wall. And there were other such things all the way around the church. And they heated the place with a wood stove. And they cooled it with a portable swamp cooler. This is a simple place. These would have been a high commodity compared to the chairs they had. But you know what? At least half of those people made my wife and I feel like we were part of their body. After church, well, actually, at the end of worship, the man's wife went into the fellowship hall, which is through an open doorway. There's no door. There's just a doorway. And she started cooking tacos. And the sanctuary was filled with the smell of fresh cooking meat. It smelled really good. And I don't like tacos. I know, that just lowered me in so many of your opinion right now. But this is the uh, flavor of the church, if you will. At the end of his sermon, he said, you probably can smell the cooking going on. I don't care if this is your first Sunday or your, you've been here 100 Sundays. Stay and eat with us. Talk to them after service. They do that every Sunday. It's not potluck. It's the church's treat to the family. Pretty cool. Yeah. Then he says, still, still at the end of the sermon, he says, if you're trying to figure out whether you're going to pay your PG&E bill or if you're going to eat lunch this week, pay your PG&E bill. We got a food closet. Go get your groceries. That's a family. That is the goal that Pastor Doug has here. That's what he wants to see happen here. That's what, I, that's what all of us want to see happen here. And we don't want it to end at our four walls, and neither did that little church up there. They had so much stuff going on in the community, you couldn't shake a stick at it. That's what we want to see here, isn't it? We want to see this place burgeoning at the walls running out into the parking lot, there's so many people and so much of God's wealth flowing through here that we bless this entire Twin City area. Yes? Amen. How does that happen? On your knees. So that I am not just someone you know from church, but I am your brother. And you are mine or you are my sister. Yes, not someone you tolerate because I sit right here every Sunday. Not someone you listen to speak because Pastor Doug said he's speaking this week. No, I want to know you. I want you to know that I love you. And not because I tell you behind the mic, because when I talk to you, you see it. It is far more important that when I don't have this thing in my hand, 
you know I love you than it is that you think I do up here. And I want to think the same of you. And I don't care what your status is in the church or in the community or anything else. I love you. Why? Because I can't help it. And I want you to feel that way about me. And you might think, that guy is the most freaking weirdo i ever seen in my life. Praise God. I don't care if you think I've got lobsters crawling out of my ears as long as you love me and you pray for me. Because if you don't talk to me on Sunday, that's one thing. But if you don't pray for me during the week, that is an entire other thing that needs to be corrected. Because you need to, because I need it. My wife needs you to pray for me. Amen? Lord, thank you that you have so much good stuff for us in what seems like such a big book until we apply it. And that it is an overwhelming book. Every answer we need is in your Bible. Every pinpoint answer we need is in conversation with you. Every one of our family members needs to be set with you and in love with you and seeking you. I ask, Lord, that you would touch each one of us this week, that we would remember to pray for our family, to love our family, to seek what is best for our family, even if it's hard to tell them, because that's what families do. Bear one another's burdens. Share each other's joys. Have a life that is love and an example of you. In Jesus' name, amen.